This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. God is faithful. And we are continuing on the teaching of restoration. And I'm bringing to you my second part of uh, teaching restoration, the process, and the purpose. As we were saying our confession, I was listening to those words. So this is our Bible. We, can't, we believe that we can be what it says we can be. We can do what we say, it says we can do. And the thing about it is this is the life-changing seed. A seed brings something forth. A seed is not the thing that it's going to end up being. But the power to be those things comes through Jesus. And that's, that's what that, I was just thinking, that's just restoration right there. The thing about it is, what you need to be restored, you're going to get it through Jesus. You're not going to be restored outside of Jesus Christ. And you're not going to be restored without the power of God working in you, but then you have to be available. You have to do the work. Everything that God does is for a purpose. So we're talking about restoration, and it sounds so good. You know, restoration is going to get you to a point. It's going to bring you to a place where God can use you and where God is going to do this. You're going to be better and greater than you were when you started out. And you're like, yes, God, that is great. But the thing about it is restoration is not just for you to be restored and sit down and be restored. And for God to say, oh, look, there's restored Kelly right there on the shelf. Nothing going on. Restoration is for you to do the work of the ministry is to do for you to accomplish the will of God for your life. And just in case I am I'm very sure that we've made it clear in these teachings that the will of God for your life has nothing to do with what you want. It has nothing to do with I'm not going to say nothing but yes I am because cut it all off. It has nothing to do with you getting a house, a car, a husband, a better job, more money. It has nothing to do with you making those people who used to treat you bad think that they shouldn't have done that. All of that kind of stuff, that's not what it is. Don't think about those things. That's why I said it has nothing to do with those things. The will of God for your life has to do with accomplishing God's will in the earth. So restoration is bringing us to a point where we, are, we can be used by God. Restoration is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you get up and say, God, I want to be restored, and then you're restored. It's a process. It's an ongoing process. And last week we said a, a process is a series of actions or steps taken to achieve a particular end. A process is not a singular event or action. It's not a one-point-in-time event. So it just doesn't happen once. It continues on. It goes in a specific direction, and it follows a specific path to get to the result. The process of restoration goes in the direction, and it follows the path ordained by God. If you don't take the action or the step, or if you go in the wrong direction or get off the path, you won't get the result of restoration. And last week I gave you the example of baking. You know, when you bake, you follow steps. You have ingredients. You do all these things, and then you get an end result. Sometimes you'll say, well, this didn't turn out the way it's supposed to be. 
Go back and check what you did. Did you do what you were supposed to do? A lot of times, I was thinking about it when you're baking. Like if you're baking cookies or you're baking a cake, they'll tell you to set out your butter, set out your eggs and anything, anything liquid to get to room temperature. But let's say you're in a hurry and you pull that stuff out of the refrigerator and you cook it. And you're like, why didn't this turn out the way it was supposed to? You didn't follow the instructions. Same thing with restoration. You can want to be restored, but if you try and do your rest, do restoration your way, you're not going to get to the result that God has called you to. In the process of restoration, the process is not the product. The process gets you to that product. It gets you to that end. Same thing with the baking. The sugar and the eggs, it's not the, it's not the cookies. You put all that together and you get the end result. So if I refuse the work of being uh, restored, I won't get the product of being restored. So restoration, and I want and I want to emphasize this: doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter where you come from, what you think you've done, what you think you have not done. Restoration is for you. God has restoration for you. He wants you to be restored, and He wants you to be in His will. He wants to use you, but first of all, you have to be restored. So you can watch others be restored and you yourself not be restored. You can't be restored by association. So I said this last week and I'll say it again. It's possible to be in the midst of people being restored and you miss out on your own restoration. Restoration is not a spectator sport. I think about it. I think about my life and I think about the time that I've been here at Church of Living Water. And I think about the people who've come and gone, and they heard the same word that I heard. They got the same meat, got the same drink, and they decided they didn't want to do the process of restoration. So now, even though they were here, there were some people I was very close to. They were here. They spent time here. I spent time with them. They decided they didn't want the work of restoration. They didn't want to do that, so they got off the path. They were in the midst of people being restored, but they didn't want it. So guess what? They didn't get restoration. So last week we talked about what does appreciating my pastor have to do with the process of restoration? You know, why would you bring this up in Pastor Appreciation Month? Well, if you don't appreciate your pastor, you can't be restored. So God sends what you need for restoration through his ordained order, which is through the gift of pastor. The oversight of the local ministry is given to the pastor. So if you don't appreciate and value the work of the pastor, you can't appreciate and value the work of restoration because that's what the pastor's doing. The pastor ministers the word to the members so that they are ready or prepared to get involved in serving others. The pastor equips, they teach, they preach, they encourage so that we can be equipped. And what is equipped? It means to be ready for its assigned purpose. A preparation or a training that fully qualifies. So that's what happens. You become equipped. You become fully qualified. The pastor gives you what you need to be trained and qualified to do the work. The pastor doesn't do the work for you. It, it, it amazes me. I just want to keep saying that. You have to do the work. Write that down somewhere. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your phone as your screensaver. I have to do the work. Because once the pastor gives you what God told her to give you, her work is done. Then you pick up the work and the responsibility is up to you to finish what God has called you to do. But to do the work, you're going to have to commit. 
And we talked about this last week. That you can't be a fly by night, you can't be flighty, you can't be in and out. God places you in the body as he sees fit. We went over to 1 Corinthians and we saw that in, in chapter 12. God places us in the body as he sees fit. And when he places us in the body, we're, com- we're to commit to that. That's just like my hand saying, I don't really want to do this tonight, Kelly. I want to stay at home in the bed, so I'm going to stay here tonight in the bed. You just work without me. That's what it's like not being committed to where God has placed you. It sounds crazy, but when you think about it like that, God places you in the body. You have a purpose in the body, and when you don't commit, that, that's being lacking. And the thing about it is when you don't commit, you can't give what you're supposed to give, but you also can't get what you need. So God expects you to be committed and involved in the ministry that he calls you to. And you can't do this by your standard. You have to do this by God's standard. Commitment is by God's standard. It's not by man's standard because commitment by man's standard is flighty. And remember, God is not flighty. If you're not invested in the place that God has ordained to bring your restoration through, how can you expect a good return? If you're not putting in the work, that's all it is. You've got to put in the work. You've got to do what you're supposed to do because the, the, what you need is there. But if you don't do it, you're not going to get what you're supposed to get. So you can't think that you're going to be lazy. You're going to sit at the, on the sidelines. You're going to disrespect your pastor and disrespect authority and then expect to be restored. That's just not how it is. God's not working through that. He's like, no, you're off my process and you're in another place. So once again, that's why we have restoration, to get you back on the right track. Then we talked about what is my part in the process of restoration. Your restoration is contingent on your will. So the thing about it is, restoration is a work. We are in the midst of restoration, but restoration starts with you individually. So, once again, you can be here, and people can be getting restored all around you, but that doesn't mean it's happening in your life. And that, that's what it's all about, is your life. You, you, have, you control your restoration. God is giving you everything you need, but you have to do the work. So you have to actively participate in your restoration. The process of restoration will require encouraging, will require purging. And that can be painful, it can be intense, but after you endure the purging, the product will honor God. So we went over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 and 21. We're going to go there later on, we're not going to read it right now. And we looked at that word purge, and we said it was meant to get rid of and to cleanse thoroughly. So during restoration, I must endure some uncomfortable and inconvenient and ugly facts about who I am in my situation. There are some things that are going to come out that God's going to show me through his word that I need to get rid of. When he shows it to me, I may say, oh, God, I don't like that. And God's like, exactly. Now let's get rid of it. Let my word cleanse you thoroughly and get rid of those things. Just don't sit there and say, oh, God, I don't like that, or God, I like it and I want to hold on to it. No, if God is telling you, you've got to get rid of that, you've got to get rid of it. Whether it is a person, a place, a thing, an attitude, you have to get rid of it. So you have to allow your, um, his word to empower you to make the necessary changes. There's no restoration without sanctification. Sanctification is salvation demonstrated by Christ-like living. It denotes consistency and ongoing behavior. So it's not 
just one time. It's ongoing and consistent behavior, Christ-like living. It's all the time. It's not just when people are looking, not just when it's convenient. It's all the time. Sanctification is both a divine act and a human act. So I'm not sanctified by my own power, but by the power of God. I can only be sanctified when I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me away from ungodliness to godliness. There's no self-sanctification. You can't sanctify yourself, but what you have to do, you have to die to self. You have to consistently die to self. So I was, I was thinking about this, this term that we use, die to self. What that means is, is there's a song that says, I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. So what that means is I give up those things that I want to do. I give up the attitude that I want to have. So somebody says something crazy to me, and I want to say, I want to have an attitude back with them. I want to say something crazy. I give up that attitude and say, God, what would you have me to do? That's me dying to self. So let's say it's Wednesday night. I would rather be doing something else, but I know I need to be hearing the word of God. I die to that something else so that I can hear the word of God. And that's how we're sanctified. It's this and that. Things are built on top of each other. So it's by the power of God that we do that. Because sometimes, you know, in and, of, in and of ourselves, our flesh, we hey, somebody go off on you, you're like, I'm ready. I've been waiting for somebody to go off on me. It's cold. I don't like the cold and I'm mad. And, and, and that's not what it is. That's what our flesh wants to do. But the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us says, whoa, wait a minute. Is that the fruit of the Spirit? And he said, it's sure not. And, and, and I let that thing go. So when I experience the love of God, I need to act like it. So when you think about forgiveness, and you go back to our, what our pastor was teaching about how much God had forgiven us, and then somebody does something to us that's not even worth a Coke, a dollar twenty-five. Then, because I've experienced God and how much He loved me and forgave me, I don't have to act. I don't have to act unforgivingly. That's not a word. I just made it up. I don't have to act unforgivingly against someone else. Someone else does something else to me, I can be like, "Do you know how much I did to God? We're good." So when I, I've experienced the Word of God. I can act like I love God. I can act like it. I can walk in his ways. God is working through you so that you can be conformed to his character. So you can drop those things that are unlike him and pick up those things that are like him. As he's working in you, your thoughts, your will, your mindset, your attitudes, those things are going to change. And as those things change, your reactions are going to change. The way you order your life is going to change, and people are going to see it. So that's when God starts, that's when God's working through you. So you have to let him work in you so that he can work through you. Let's go over to 1 Samuel chapter um, 17. This is kind of where we left off last week. So we're talking about sanctification and restoration. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 and um, I'm going to read this again. This is David here. And this is before he goes to fight Goliath. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 through 37. And David said to Saul, Let no man, so Saul is the king at this time. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. 
thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. So this is interesting because David's this young man, and you got all these soldiers, you got the king in the army, the Israel army, and they're just chilling. They're like, Goliath, yeah, you, we know you saying bad stuff about us, but we scared you. We're not coming up against you. So here comes David. He's not even in the army. He's just there. And he's like, what's going on? I know they didn't, he, I just didn't hear this man saying this about my God. So he goes up to the king. Now here's David. He goes up to the king. And he says, um, I'll take care of him. And the king says, um, sorry, but you know, he's a man of war. You're like a, a child. And then David gives him, he said, let me explain something to you. I took care of my dad's sheep, and a lion and a bear came to get the sheep, and I, and I killed him, and I got the sheep back. So David said, Goliath, I'm ready for because I know how to handle him. So what David is saying here is saying, look, I've trusted God. He's shown me how to get the victory. I know how to do this because I know God is going to bring me out. It's not so much my strength. That's going to bring me out. But it's God is going to bring me out. So he's telling Saul, I can do this. That's the way it is in, in our life. So we think that God tells us to do something. So God tells you to, to pray for someone. God tells you not to send a text. God tells you not to say that thing. And you say it anyway. And that's God saying, now, you know, I can't do anything else because you didn't obey me right there. I can't build on anything. But now let's say you do obey him. So God says, no, don't say that, and you don't say it. God says, I need you to tithe. You start to tithe. God says, I need you to assess. You start to assess. And God is now able to build you up. You're starting to be restored. But you have to start in the little things. Because if you can't get those little things right, so here, here David is. He had to, it was one sheep. I remember telling you last week, you know, I was thinking about it. His dad would have been like, well, yeah, David, the lion got the sheep. Okay. The bear got the sheep. It was one sheep. Whatever. But see, it's not that. It's not so much as the one sheep. It's did you trust God to get you through. So if you can't trust God to get you through this, when you come up against Goliath and an army, you're not going to trust God. Because you, you have to establish that. And God is giving you opportunity after opportunity. He's saying, listen, do this, do this. And you keep thinking it's just a small thing. And God is saying, no, it's not a small thing. You have to let God work through you in those small areas. You have to let him work in you in those small areas. And then you can move on to what you would call bigger things. I was thinking about that. The scripture says your gift will make room for you. Your gift will make room for you when you obey God. 
When you've obeyed God and you've trusted him, he's going to put you in the right places at the right time. How did David get here? You know, he was, he was actually obeying his dad. There, and that's how he got there. You have to realize, God is not going to pick you up and throw you to a place. You've got to do what he said. Remember, it's a process. It's his process. A lot of times, we think that, you know, God, I just want to do great things for you. I want to, I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and you can't figure out why you can't make it past that hump. And you're like, God, what, what's holding up? And God is saying, it's a small thing. It's something you consider small. It's something that probably, it was something, I'm going to tell you too, it was something God had been working on my heart on as I was studying this message. And he said, that's the thing I've been working with you on. And I saw it and I said, God, it sure is. And you know what, I stopped it. And let me tell you, things just opened up. It was like, God, all this time. All this time. But it was a small thing. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give, I'm going to tell you how I got to that thing. I just said, God, you know what? I, I need to hear it from you a little clearer. I'm just going to fast. And you know what? It wasn't even a long fast. It was just an evening. I just, I just fast. I turned off the television. I turned, actually, I turned it on the rain. You know that rain like on YouTube? So it sounds like it's raining outside and it drowns out all the noise around you. That's what was going on. Turned my phone off. At the time, I had a headache. I said, God, I have a headache. But you know what? I've had headaches before and I've gotten over them. So, and I just, I just prayed. And I prayed and I read my word and I studied my word. The two different things I just read. Reading is just like reading a book. Studying, that means I take my notes that I've heard. I take the word. I look at that. I look things up. I do all these things and pull things together. And then I just prayed. And that's what I did. But I had to get quiet. And I had to let God show me. I had to get everything else out of the way. Everything else out of the way. And I had to let God show me. And that little thing was something I didn't necessarily want to do. So now I have to trust God to do it. That his power is strengthening me. That his Holy Spirit is going to work in me and through me in my heart to change my heart so it will change my action. So... That's what, that's, that's what David did. That's why it comes, you got the little things. And to me, you know, a bear and a lion. And I think I said last week, first of all, I'm sure David had to kill like a cricket and a frog or whatever. You, you've got to start with just small things. And it may seem small, but those things are going to build up. And you're going to build up your stamina. And understand, the reason I gave you that example of what I did is not because I'm trying to tell you I'm all that great. If I was all that great, I wouldn't have to do it. I would obey earlier. But... It's to show you that it can be done. That, that God, if, if you seek God, he'll show you exactly what you need to do. He'll show you, even if it's just a small thing, even if it's just like, no, I don't necessarily want you to, talk, to say that to them that way. I want you to say it this way. Or no, I don't necessarily want you to do that. I want you to do this. But you've got to pull away. You've got to spend time with him. I remember something our pastor gave us on New Year's Eve. And it was, it was a list of things for 2020. Do I remember that? And one of the things on the list was like, you've got to get rid of old, stale study habits. You've got to pull away and you've got to fast. And I keep thinking about that because, you know, 2020 has been a year. But remember, God said he's going to give us 2020 vision. And the thing about it is God didn't say he's going to give us 2020 vision just during that fast. He's going to give us 2020 vision. So we have to allow him to do that. But he's not going to give us 20-20 vision if we're looking at everything else. 
So we have to be sanctified by his word. We have to be restored by his word, whether we think it's something that we need to be restored in or whether we don't think it's something. Because guess, guess what? Restoration is not your work. It's God's work. So if God says you need to do it, then you need to do it. So go over to Zechariah chapter 4. Sanctification is ongoing. So you're, you're always going to be, sanctification is ongoing. It's Christ-like living. So there are always things that you're going to have to purge. There are things that you're going to have to do. Because we live in this flesh. But the thing about it is, once you have a pattern of this, once you get used to doing it, it becomes natural for you. Didn't say it becomes pleasurable, but it becomes natural. You know what to do. In the beginning, I remember in the beginning, like I, like, I was like, God, this is really hard to do. And God said, no, the way of the transgressor is hard. And I said, well, I'm not a transgressor. And I used to say that a lot, probably like six times a week. Now I'm like, oh, God, I don't have to say that more. He said, no, because you got used to hearing me and, and then correcting those areas. But the thing about it is the correction, we, we have to be able to, um, let's, we have to put the correction in our life. We actually have to apply the correction that we get. So over in Zechariah chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For thou hast despised the day of small things. Excuse me. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hands of Zerubbabel, Who's with those seven, and they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. So when we think about sanctification, when we think about restoration, it's not by your own power, it's not by your own might. You're restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do the work. So we're looking at this here, and it's talking about what Zerubbabel is doing. And, and, and what is told to Zechariah by the angel is not by his hands that's gonna, this is going to happen. It's not by man's knowledge. It's not by man's power. It's not by his might. But it's by God's spirit that this is going to happen. Now, what's interesting in here is if you look, it says he put his hands to the plummet. He uh, shall see the plummet in his hand. So that meant he was doing something. That's why I like this scripture. It's not like he said, well, it's by uh, God's power and might. I'm just going to chill. I ain't got to do nothing. God changed me. No. You're going to have to put out some work. You're going to have to put out the effort. God is going to give you the power to do it and show you how to do it, when to do it, what to do, how to do. But you're going to have to do it. So you can't rely on your own knowledge. You can't rely on your own power. And I know a lot of times we think that that's what we can do. Well, God, this is what I think I should do. Whenever I think that, this is what I always think. You know, God, this is what I think I should do. 
And I think, hmm, who told me to think? Nobody. I just trust God. I seek his face and say, God, what, what should I do? God, you tell me what to do. When we, we try to make it so hard, it's not by our power. It's not by our might. We just need to do what God said. Just obey. That, that's, that's the word. Just obey. God gets the glory when we're restored. So we have to endure the process that he starts. So even in verse 10 it says, For who hath despised the day of small beginnings? So sometimes we think things are starting out small. Or they're not starting out the way that we think they should start. And we're like, well, God, there's no way. You know, you, you just told me to tell sister so-and-so that I enjoyed her company. Or you just told me to do this. And, you, and God is saying, you think that's a small thing, but it's not a small thing. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't get caught up in how something looks. Remember, we're talking about your part in the process of restoration and your restoration. Don't get caught up in how something begins or how you think it begins. Don't do that because that's not where it is. Here's the other thing. Don't get caught up in comparisons. Comparisons will kill you. You are no one else. God made you an original. What he's doing in you, he's restoring all of us. But the work that he's doing in and through you is the work that he's doing in and through you. You can't pick, take it out and pick it up and put it in me. Because it's something for me that God has. So don't get caught up in comparing, oh, well, you know, I came to the ministry at this time and this person's doing this and I'm not doing this. Or I came to the ministry at this time and this person's not doing this and I'm doing that. Because sometimes we always think of comparison as a way to put us down. But sometimes we also use comparisons as a way to lift us up. And that's not what's going on. God is working in and through you what he's working in and through you. So don't get caught up in those comparisons. Don't get caught up in comparisons with other ministries. Yes, other ministries may be having everybody congregate, but that's not what's going on here. So you have to trust that what God is doing here is what he's doing here. And God bless those people over there because hopefully their pastors are listening to God too. But we're doing what God is calling us to do, not what he's calling anybody else to do, because we all have a part to play in this. So we have to start where God tells us to start. Be obedient now. Don't worry about being obedient tomorrow because guess what? Tomorrow's obedience will take care of itself. Don't worry about the disobedience that you had yesterday. That day is over. Repent. Obey now. Obey now where you are. Because guess what? You're going to have another chance. Keep obeying. Endure the process of reformation. Don't get tired. Write this down. Make the decision that no person, relationship, opinion, circumstance, or anything else will keep you from being committed to God and striving for godly character and completing the call of God on your life. I'm going to read it again. Make the decision that no person, relationship, opinion, circumstance or anything else will keep you from being committed to God 
and striving for godly character and completing the call of God on your life. If you make that decision and you stick with it, you won't get up, give up. You'll finish what you start. You won't, there won't be any substitutions. You'll finish what God has called you to do. You'll work the plan that he's called you to do. You'll continue on the process of restoration. Go over to Nehemiah chapter 4. So restoration is a process. It's a series of steps. It's a series of actions. It's ongoing. And sometimes you may get to the point where you say, well, still restoration? Yes, still restoration. Don't give up. Don't get tired. When you get tired, take a deep breath and keep going. So over in Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 6 through 15. So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. So they were building the wall. They got some work done. They had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. And here we go in verse 7. But it came to pass that Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped. Then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem to hinder it and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the... Actually, let's, let's stop at verse 9. Because I want to tell you what's going on here. So, the work is being done. Now, the, 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 work, the work is being done on the inside, and now it's being seen on the outside. So now you've got the people saying, well, that ain't nothing. You've got the people coming against you. And guess what? That's going to happen. That's going to happen. It may be people who you love and who you care about, but guess what? It's going to happen. But you know what? You can't give up. You can't give up. What I love is verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. They prayed unto God and then they watched day and night. They didn't stop. They didn't stop because somebody was like, we're coming to get you. And they were like, well, let's pray to God because he's greater than all. But we're going to keep watching. So let's go to verse 10 here. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build a wall. So now, not only do you have people saying they want to get you, you get to do the work, and you're like, Oh my God, this work is hard, and this is rubbish. Oh, and we just did all that work. I'm tired from all that work, and these people behind me trying to beat me up. Oh, no, no, we're not going to stop. Verse 11, and our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. So they're like, no, we're coming up on you. We're going to roll up on you. We're going to come up, going to get you from behind to make you stop this work. And then verse 12, and it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all the places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon us. Excuse me. They will be upon you. Therefore said I, 
in the lower places, behind the wall, and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren and your sisters and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when the enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall and everyone unto his work. So here's the thing. During the restoration process, you're going to have to endure. You're going to have to endure. We have an adversary. The adversary is not giving up. The adversary wants you to quit. There are situations and circumstances that are going to come up in your life that just come up because you're a human. Don't give up. There will be times when, when it seems like you don't know what to do and you can't finish. Don't give up. You have to press through. I was looking at this and it was talking about in verse 12, uh, verse 14. And it's talking about picking up your swords and, and your spears and then fighting for your brethren, for your sisters, for your sons, for your daughters. We have to be willing and ready to do some things that are outside of our comfort zones. So these people, they weren't necessarily warriors, but they had to do some things that were outside of their comfort zone. They had to get over that in their mind and they had to go and do what needed to be done. You may have to do some things that you weren't expecting to have to do, but just do them. If God has called you to do it, then he's giving you, he's empowering you by your holy, his Holy Spirit, not by your power and not by your might. So the thing about it is, you have to stop limiting yourself. You have to stop believing the stereotypes about people. And you have to stop believing the stereotypes about, our, about yourself. You know, sometimes people will say, well, here's a good one. We own this one. Well, that's a woman. Women, women are emotional. Women can't make rational decisions. And sometimes as women, we pick that up. No, no, ma'am, no, sir. No, no. Did, did God say you can make rational decisions? So you can make rational decisions. Did God say you could do something? Then you can do it. If God calls you to be a, a wall builder with a sword in your hand, then you are a wall builder with a sword in your hand. Go pick up the sword and get on the wall. No matter if your knees are shaking, if your arm, you got to drag the sword, you better just start doing some, hey, get it, get it ready. Do the work. Because if God says that you can do it, guess what? He's empowering you to do it. But He's not gonna, let me tell you, He's not, He's not doing it through somebody sitting on the couch. Get off the sidelines. Yes, um, Sambalad and Tobiah may be behind you. They may be saying a whole lot of stuff. But guess what? Our God is great and terrible. So guess what? If He calls you to do it, guess what? He's gonna protect you. So, you know, get rid of all of this, well, people told me I couldn't. People told you you couldn't, but God is telling you you can. Who's bigger, you or God, the people of God? And so there may be some things in your mind that you say, God, I can't do that. And I tell you all this, I've told you all this before. If somebody had told me five, six years ago that I would be up here teaching this, I would have been like, you are smoking something. But guess what? If God says you can do it, 
Get in the work and do it. Get into what he's saying and do it. Because it's not by your power, it's not by your might, but by his spirit that's going to be done. So don't give up. Don't compromise. Do not compromise. So many times we will try to compromise and it's just those little things. Don't compromise. No matter how it looks, no matter if you don't, you feel like you don't have a friend, you don't have anybody to call because there's other people who don't have the same standard as you. Don't give up. Don't compromise. No matter how it looks, don't succumb to that external peer pressure and the internal pressure that you may put on yourself because of things that you want to do and you can't. Stay with God. Endure the process. Be faithful. Don't worry about the threats. Don't worry about the things that you're afraid of. Don't, don't worry about those things. Now, I didn't, I didn't say you wouldn't have threats and I didn't tell you you wouldn't be afraid. But just endure. God will calm your fear, fears and he'll handle those threats. During the restoration process, be fully present and fully engaged. Don't think that you're going to half do this. Sometimes I want to be faithful and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want to do this, sometimes I don't. No. you you got to go all in. All in. Don't try to rush the process to try to get over out of doing something that you consider uncomfortable. You don't like this season in your life. Minister Stetson says it all the time. You don't like this season in your life, so you want to rush through it. No. Some, there's work to be done in that season. So be patient. Be persistent. Focus on the goal, always remembering that there's something greater and bigger. Although you may not understand it right now, but there's something that's coming, and there's something you're being restored or prepared for in this season. Go over to um, Luke chapter 22. So what's happening right now, what, I, what I'm going to look at right now is actually kind of, it's still in the second point of what's your uh, responsibility in the process of restoration and what the, uh, what's the purpose of uh, restoration. So we're going to go over to Luke verse 20, uh, excuse me, chapter 22. And we're going to read verses 31 through 34. Verse 31 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So that's the purpose of restoration. Okay? When you're converted, you strengthen your brethren. And when he, this is Simon, hears this, when he had, excuse me, and when he and he said unto the Lord, he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Oh, he's ready, right? And he said, and this is what Jesus says to Peter, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. So. Here's an example of having a heart to do, but not being prepared to do. So, Jesus tells uh, Peter, when you're converted, I want you to strengthen your brother. But the, the devil wants to sift you like we. And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever's happening. And then Jesus said, no, you're not. 
So sometimes we may have a heart to do, but we're not ready to do. So in our eagerness to do the will of God, we try to jump ahead of God. And we can't do that because we have to be restored so that we can be effective. Because remember, God knows what we need before we get there. He goes before us. So what you need in the situation, just like David, David had to have confidence and he gained that confidence by killing the bear and the lion. And then when he came up to Goliath, it was just part of the process. It was the next step. Same thing with us. So we can't get, the pro- get ahead of the process. You may have the zeal, but you don't have the knowledge. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that you're equipped. If you're not equipped for the work, you're always going to fail. But God will equip you so you can't get ahead of him. Because remember, the process of restoration doesn't put you in the place where you think you should be. It puts you in the place and the position that God has ordained you to be. Go over to John 21. So we're going to look at, at Peter a little bit later on now. This is, this is some time has elapsed and Peter did deny knowing Jesus. And now Jesus, he's been crucified, he, he's been resurrected, and this is, this is what has happened. So let's go ahead, um, John chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. So when they had died, G- uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. And he said unto him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. So, looking at this, you know, looking at the conversation, you're like, he asking this three times? Seems like the conversation went the same way every time. The one thing that I want you to know is, is, is the love. Now, when Jesus was asking Peter something, he was using an agape love, a self-sacrificing type of love in the beginning. And Peter was like, I love you like a friend. We cool. But Jesus kept asking him. The thing I want you to see here is Peter didn't say, I just give up. I can't do what you want me to do, Jesus. But he said, God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you with what I have right now. In the process of restoration, love God. Obey through the process. The two things that are consistent there are love and serve. Peter, his love for God, he he didn't start out where he needed to be, but he got there. He kept his love for God, and that's what kept him in that restoration process. Because now, remember, Peter denied knowing Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. That's almost the same action. But one was restored and the other wasn't. Peter, it was a, it's another episode in the Bible where Jesus said some hard sayings to his followers. And some of them leave. And then he looks at the apostles and he says, are y'all going to leave too? And Peter says, we don't have nowhere to go. You have the words of truth. And that's something Peter believed in his heart. Because he stayed. 
He stayed even though he even though he knew he had done wrong. He stayed to be restored. And so the end of Peter is not this. The end of Peter, you see him in Acts preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. We read the books that he's written because he endured the process. He loved God through the process. He obeyed God. He loved and he served. So that's the thing we have to do. No matter what, we have to keep our love for God in the forefront. Remember, if we've experienced God's love, we can act like we've experienced it. So remember, Peter, once you're converted, I want you to strengthen your brethren. So what's the purpose of being restored? Go over to Psalms chapter 51. And please excuse me if I don't wait on y'all. I'm going to go ahead and read this. So Psalms 51. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So I like this. This is David. He's speaking. He's asking God to do these things in his life. And then he says, God, and when you do this, then I can teach others your ways. I can restore others. So when I'm restored... I can restore others. I can witness to others God's goodness. So when I see others who are, who are maybe fallen, like David, he said, I can teach transgressors your ways because I, see, I know I've experienced your goodness. I can teach others of God's restorative forgiveness. I, I have a first-hand experience of it. I can, I'm a witness. I've seen it in my life. I don't have to give you second-hand testimony. I can tell you exactly what he's done. When I am restored... I can live a life that pleases God. So let's go over here to 2 Timothy chapter 21. And we read this last week, and I was telling you guys, if I didn't tell you guys last week, I meant to. Basically, we read 19 through 21. And that is pretty much what this message is talking about here. It's talking about you being purged so that you can do the work of the ministry. So right now, we're on our last point, which is what's the purpose of being restored. So we're just going to look at verse 21 here. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So when I'm restored, I can be a vessel of honor that God can use. God is not going to use what doesn't glorify him. God's going to use... That's what's been purged. Those things have been pulled away that aren't like him. When I'm purged, I've purged myself by his word, by being washed by his word. I'm sanctified. I'm set apart holy and consecrated to God, reflecting his moral and ethical character. When I'm sanctified, once again, I'm set apart holy, all of me, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, consecrated to God. Reflecting his moral and ethical character. I'm restored. Once I'm restored, I am meet. That means I'm helpful, I'm serviceable, and I'm useful. Remember, God doesn't restore us just to be a pretty knick-knack on the shelf. He restores us to be used. So I'm meet. And what am I meet for? 
any good work. I love that. I was looking at that. And prepared unto every good work. What, whatever good work God wants you to do, he says you can do it. So when I'm restored, I'm in position and prepared to do the good work of God. I'm not prepared. I'm prepared and waiting. I'm prepared and waiting. So God says, okay, we got seven people lined up there and they're prepared and they're waiting. Person number one, go do good work now. A. Person number two, do good work B. And he can just send you out because you're prepared and waiting. You're not waiting to get ready. You know, like those, those, um, those bridesmaids, the five foolish ones, waiting to get ready. Like, well, I'm, I'm chilling over here, God. I, I want to be used by you, but I don't have nothing that you can use. You're not useful. You're not service. You, you, you're not meat. So you have to, that's the restoration, becoming meat. So when I'm meat, when an opportunity arises, I'm in position and prepared to capitalize on that opportunity. So I know a lot of times those words, you start thinking of things you can do for yourself. No. What can you do for God? When you see a need, when God shows you a need, whether it's a need, maybe it's just to pray for someone. Maybe it is to do something in the ministry of help at the church. Maybe it is to preach the gospel. You know, whatever it is, whatever good work God has for you, when that opportunity opens up itself, you're ready to capitalize on that opportunity. And then the glory of God can be seen in you obeying God. But if you're not ready, you may see the opportunity, but you can't do it because you're not in position. You're not meet. You're not ready. So you have to make sure that once you're restored, now God can use you. So that's why restoration is so important. You'll get in a position, you'll see the opportunity, and maybe you'll try to act on the opportunity, but you won't be effective. You won't be able to do what God has called you to do. Go over to Galatians chapter 6. So we want to be sanctified, meet for the master's use, so that we can be vessels of honor. And the thing about a vessel, the vessel in and it, of itself is just a vessel, but it's what's in the vessel that's important. And we have the spirit of God living in us. Remember, he, he's empowering us. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. Let me get to it. We're just going to read verse 1 here. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So what else does restoration produce? What else is the purpose of restoration? It's so that we can help each other. So, you who are spiritual, and what does the word spiritual mean? It means spiritual, spiritually mature. What does that mean? It means having the mind of Christ. Living out of the fruit of the Spirit, not being led by your flesh. It's having a servant's heart, serving fellow Christians. It's not about me. I, spiritually mature, I'm going to say it again, it's having the mind of Christ. My mind has been renewed. It's been turned towards Him. It's been turned towards Christ. My character, my integrity are like Christ. I'm being renewed in His Spirit every day. I'm living out of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not living out of my flesh. I have a servant's heart to serve fellow Christians. 
A servant's heart is always towards pleasing his master. It's never about pleasing themselves. So when you're spiritually mature, it says restore in the spirit of meekness. When you see someone overtaken in the fall, if you're not spiritually mature, this scripture is not for you. That's why you have to be restored. Because God's not saying just stay immature. He's saying mature so that we, you can be used in the work of the ministry. So when you're restored, you're restored to help others. So you can help those who need restoration. Let's go back over to Ephesians chapter 4 where we started. So why are we restored? Or we, we are not restored just to say we're restored and like get a t-shirt. You're restored to do the work of the ministry. To serve God. The same way, the reason that you are born again, the reason that you are walking in the things that you're walking in is because somebody was restored and then they did the work of the ministry. So it's not enough for you to keep your what you've got and not give it to somebody else. We talk about restoration is from generation to generation. So your restoration is not for you to keep and hold on to and polish and take out on special occasions. Your restoration is for you to the, allow the Spirit of God to work through you so that others can be restored. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of the body of itself in love. So, when I'm restored, I can help other believers. I can encourage those that are walking with me and be an example, actually be an example to those coming behind me. So I'm looking at verse 16 here, and it says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. You can be a joint that supplieth when you're restored. And the thing about it is, It makes increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What does edifying mean? It means to build up, to strengthen, to make more able. So when you're restored, you can strengthen the body. When you're restored, you can do the work of the ministry. So what is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is acts of service. What, you know, I was thinking, what does that mean? That means it's a lifestyle of service to God, which leads to a lifestyle of service to others. 
First of all, your service is to God. Like your love is to God. And then your love will be to others. Because remember, a servant, when you're spiritually mature, you are looking to serve God. And a servant's heart is always towards his master. And our master is God. So we can do the work of the ministry. Which is having that lifestyle of service to God, which leads to service to others. In restoration, when you restore, it promotes unity in the body. The bo- we are unified. We're unified in Christ. When you're restored, where, where you're supposed to be, it promotes that unity. The work of the ministry is for all believers. It's not because you hear the word ministry, you, you automa- most people automatically think ministers or preachers or people, these people. No, it's for all of us who've been born again. We're all called to serve. But we can't do the work of the ministry if we're selfish and we're self-centered. So if it's all about what you want, all about what you want to do, how you feel and all those things, then you need to be restored so you can do the work of the ministry. Because in restoration, you're always dying to self and living to God. In restoration, remember, in restoration, God is building some things in you so that you can have the character and the mind of Christ. So we want to make sure that our our character, it can disqualify us from doing the work of ministry. That's why restoration is so important, so that you can do the work of the ministry. But you're restored, so you are sanctified. So you have that light, that Christ-like lifestyle. So what should happen is you should not be disqualified by your character because you're restored. So that's, that's one reason why restoration is so important. One thing I want to say, though, is sometimes we get a little confused with our character may be on, but then our personality may be what we, we don't think our personality is suited for the work of the ministry. But our personality is always suited for the work of the ministry. God wants to use your personality in that. So you can't hide behind your personality. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm quiet, I'm an introvert, so I can't do the work of the ministry. No, God is saying the work of the ministry is for all of us. On the flip side, I can't say I don't want to do acts of service for certain people who don't have this personality or who have this personality. Remember, that's the whole thing about forgiveness and letting those things go. We have to be restored to do the work of the ministry because we're going to do what God told us to do. We don't get to pick and choose who we minister to. We minister who God has called us to minister to. Being restored makes me established and productive so that I can do my part in building up and edifying the body of Christ. The focus is not about the, uh, not about the individual, but the body. True service glorifies God. We're fitly joined together in the body in the position that God has placed us, not where we placed ourselves. God never intended us to be cut off and isolated and totally self-serving. So, each individual contributes to this unified growth based on what God has given them to supply. So I'm restored, God is placing me, and I contribute to the edification and the growth of the body of Christ. I can do that when I'm restored. 
And I am out of time. God is faithful. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.